I would say um, sometimes it feels like the work that's done in residential is work that cannot be done in outpatient. And I, I know I kind of said it earlier, but there's truly something magical about taking time out of your busy life and um, giving yourself the time to do the work and the healing. I mean, sometimes we keep so busy that we don't even have a sense truly of what our issues are. And so if someone's struggling with depression or panic or just anxiety, and they that's enough to get them here, the chances are they're going to learn a whole lot more. And uh, it's just a really great experience. For me, half the magic is the break from life to do the work. And you can't get that in outpatient. In this episode, we're exploring the question, how do I know if residential is right for me? Throughout this series, we have touched on the residential experience quite a bit. And I'm so excited to introduce you to Shannon, our admissions director, who sat down with therapist Amanda to help us explore for whom and when the residential experience might be right. They pull back the curtain on our admissions process and how they try to meet clients with their unique needs and resources to meet them in the season they're in. Christopher, what were your biggest takeaways from this episode? Yeah, I personally have known this, but I'm just grateful that we were able to uh, talk with the two of them and just make people aware of how important the admission process is. Mm -hmm. You know, we put a lot of energy into making sure, you know, that timing is right yeah. and that we can meet the needs of the clients that come to milestones. I think that's half the magic of milestones is yeah. that we spend so much time on the front end with families, referrals, and potential clients to make sure that it's a good fit. Definitely. I once heard someone on our clinical team say uh, the right the right treatment at the wrong time is the wrong treatment. And yeah. so I really love how both Shane and Amanda um, emphasize that about finding the right time for the right thing. And so I just really am excited for people to hear this episode and get to know a little bit more about the magic behind our admissions process. So stick with us as we explore this question on treating trauma. Welcome to the Treating Trauma Podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Christopher O'Reilly. Join us for a limited series of conversations with trauma experts and world-class clinicians for Milestones, a one-of-a-kind, holistic, and specialized residential trauma treatment experience. Together, we'll explore how unresolved trauma from our past can disrupt and block us from being the person we want to be. Hello. Welcome Hi. back, Amanda, and welcome, Shannon. I am so excited to have the two of you in this room together. Thank you. Welcome. Hello. Well, we are diving into a particular question today that I think the two of you are uniquely positioned to answer, especially here and kind of the work that you do. Mm. So I would love to just help someone who's wondering kind of on the fence and seeking trauma care and wondering, is residential the right experience for me? Um, so let's just introduce you. What is your role with our clients here at Milestones? Uh, so as clinical supervisor, I... Uh, oversee our clinical staff, that being other therapists um, who aren't adjunct therapists, and helping make sure that the treatment we give our clients is really the most effective therapy and modalities out there, that we're staying on top of things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a good description. I'm the admissions director, so I do a lot of the front-end work of helping people decide um, program-wise what makes sense for them, uh, gathering information about them, um, and helping to support them in getting to the program. Yeah, and your team is essential in that. Um, Because I would make up that people call and say, okay, this is what's going on in my life, and you really have to help meet them assess pretty quickly what's going on, what are some of the factors in their life that might help them be, maybe a workshop is right for them, or maybe um, we're not the right fit, or maybe it's a digital product, or maybe it is a residential experience at Milestone. So from your seat, what makes residential trauma different from other offerings? Yeah, I would say the residential gives them the option to process their trauma at their pace. So rather than following a set curriculum of a week or four days, they can really dive into their processing and their work in their speed rather than follow a set curriculum. And what are some of like the questions you might ask someone to help determine what maybe might be the right fit for them? Yeah, a lot of it goes into their story, really, mm-hmm. truly what they've experienced in life, how much trauma they have endured, um, and what they want out of treatment. Do they want a combination? Do they want to look at co-occurring things? Do they want to look at medicine management? Do they want to just dive in and do short-term, or do they really want to take a longer look at processing and healing? I love that y'all ask about their goals right at the front end. Mm -hmm. Really feel like a a client-led decision out of that. Absolutely. What about you? Amanda, what do you feel like makes residential trauma care different than other offerings that someone might encounter? You know, I think um, that answer is really interesting when you think about all of the ways to get help out in the world, yeah. as well as even all the residential treatment facilities throughout. Hmm. So um, because it's primarily trauma focused when you go to treatment with us when you come seek treatment with us what you will experience is a high level focus on trauma and less on um, addictions less on maybe some mental health not to say that they won't get addressed because Mm -hmm. they will it's just you're really looking at a pure a a majority focus of trauma in Mm. that the the lens that we look through is that a lot of these other experiences and symptoms that people are having in their life may be a result of the trauma that's impacted them. And so getting to the root of it really allows for more space to look at the addictions Mm -hmm. to have some alleviation in the mental health. Um, So I think that's one aspect that's really different. The other one that's really important to me is you really are stepping into treatment and letting go of the outside world. So Mm. we have so many structures in place that really allow a person to disconnect so that they really can focus on themselves and the work they're doing. Yeah. That's kind of a removed experience. Yeah. I was going to, Amanda, I really appreciate that last piece because to me, just for people to be able to put their life on pause mm-hmm. and come in and do the work uh, makes such a huge uh, impact. Um, and you hear people say all the time, it feels like they get a year's worth of work done in a short period of time versus in outpatient. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of life distractions mm-hmm. and it's really difficult sometimes to 
focus on the work. Yeah. I think uh, something that comes up for me in this is a lot of clients, when they go and see an individual outpatient therapist, it's can be it can feel like crisis management. So they're going in weekly, putting out fires and not really getting to deep dive and go back like they would be able to if they came to a residential treatment center. Hmm. And I think we're kind of unique in this space. And like you were saying that we do treat the trauma first and maybe the addiction second. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher, you came from the addiction space. Mm-hmm. And how do you see those two things operating differently? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, initially it's just a different focus. Yeah. But I think addiction, residential addiction often includes a medical stabilization. Yeah. So they might be coming in to detox off of drugs and alcohol. And what that does is, I mean, you got to put medical and physical safety first. So that part is really key. The other piece that I've noticed is that, um, you know, the further someone is away from drugs and alcohol, when they start to do deeper emotional work, the more likely they are to drop into the work, meaning to, to really engage in the process. It's not uncommon for someone to get off of alcohol and still feel foggy or disconnected from their emotions mm-hmm. for weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice for us to see people, you know, get some time in recovery from chemical addiction or just addiction in general, and then come into residential trauma. And the work, in my opinion, is deeper Mm -hmm. because they're more emotionally available. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Obviously, this is not the biggest fit for everyone. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the barriers that you face, Amanda, when people come in and Shannon, that you face even on the front end before someone decides to come to Milestones or before someone decides to come in and do a residential stay? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest barrier is them understanding, one, what they want out of treatment, so what their goals are to line up what our program can offer. Mm-hmm. And then also we now, if they are in active addiction, if mm-hmm. that needs to be a primary first step, um, we need to make that recommendation first. And yeah. so really just listening to where they're at in that. Um, some people want higher level of psychiatric care uh-huh. or need a stabilization or something like that prior to coming in. So it really depends where they are um, and what their goals are to if this is the right fit. Yeah feels like timing is everything. It does. Because Shannon, sometimes we'll have someone inquire and I feel like uh, it's not a no, it's a not yet. Because maybe they have to do some stabilization, whether it's with their mental health or with their addiction stuff. And then milestones might make more sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what are some of like those defining features or characteristics of residential care? Like Maybe let's pull back the curtain a little bit because we keep saying like residential care. Like, What is that and what does it offer someone? I think of um, a work week. So when people go to their jobs, they're at a job from nine to five. Mm -hmm. And when people are in residential care, the work, quote unquote, on themselves is eight o'clock in the morning till when they go to bed that night. You know, it is an all day feature Mm -hmm. and there's no rest on the weekends. We offer workshops and groups on the weekends too. So it is 
this very uh, literal sense of working on yourself like mm-hmm. you would a job 24-7 while they're here. That's a really good analogy. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, Amanda, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Um, and it's very, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And the way that that works is because it's not just like you're not doing it in a vacuum. Yeah. Like there's a group of people all working together doing this trauma work and therefore that support and encouragement from one another makes it possible. Yeah, and I would make up that it isn't all like when we think about it being hard, heavy work. And I think there is some rediscovering of who they were. There's rediscovering of lightness and whimsy and play and so their rest and recuperation and they're learning even how to rest. So I think I would love to hear how you guys kind of build in some of those elements that are also a part of the work. It's not just we're going to sit in a room and do experiential trauma work for nine hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're bringing up some parts that can be very, very difficult for yeah. trauma survivors. Uh, a lot of people who have severe trauma in their as a part of their story, really struggle with play, really struggle with rest. Mm-hmm. And the idea of sitting with themselves is incredibly painful. And so um, it's a slow process. And we have very specific schedules that allow for the time for them to sit with themselves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we create the clients are able to create a culture within the community that does allow for some play Yeah, that we've had some groups come through who do that really, really well. Mm-hmm. And we also have had to be conscientious about the work we do in groups or individual sessions where we intentionally make that time so yeah. that they are learning how to do that themselves. It's, um, it's a balance and it's a delicate balance. I think it's something that I wouldn't have thought of is that that part feels just as scary as some of the other trauma work mm-hmm. to rediscover and to play um, because it doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like if they stop being busy, then mm-hmm. they have to feel, mm-hmm. which uh, is extremely scary. Yeah. So I think we do a good job of intentionally creating space to notice what's going on in the body. Mm. And in the mind and in relationships, which is where the healing happens. Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Treating Trauma podcast. Throughout this series, we talk a lot about Milestone's experience and the ways that we can come alongside individuals adversely impacted by the effects of trauma. I wanted to make you aware of another way that OnSite can serve you if you are struggling to understand and make sense of your past adversity. For decades, OnSite's in-person group workshops have been helping people right-size their experiences and find the hope and healing they need. Our six-day healing trauma program is designed to help you address the emotional pain, compulsive behavior cycles, and disconnection that often follows a traumatic experience. This world-renowned group experiential program provides you with the education and innovative tools necessary to support your recovery journey. You can now experience the power of the group workshop on our California or Nashville campuses. 
Connect with our admissions team at 1-800-341-7432 or head to onsiteworkshops.com to learn more about our healing trauma program. Now, back to the interview. Um, what if residential is not the right fit for someone? And maybe this question is more for, for Shannon, like what kind of outpatient care might be helpful? Or if it's a yes, but not right now, what are some of the other referrals that you might make? Yeah. So first and foremost, when we have our conversation with them and hear their story and their goals and do a little bit more digging into Mm -hmm. their background, we can make the determination um, if we think they should do residential or if they can continue outpatient or if a shorter term program is a fit. Mm -hmm. And so really diving into their history and where they're at will help us to determine that. And if we determine it's not a fit right now, um, we'll give referrals. So a lot of times we'll offer referrals if it's something that needs to be immediate before they admit. So it could be something that they need to go um, to a detox or they Mm -hmm. need to go to stabilization or they need to see a therapist for a couple of months before they come in. We'll set all of that up with them on the front end, um, still move forward with getting their paperwork, getting them ready to go, but offer those resources as well. And then you guys are with them throughout that process as they're walking out whatever treatment plan y'all have established. Yeah. Yeah. So following up with them, connecting with them, checking in on them, making sure that they're, you know, doing the work that they need to before they come. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll set an admit date based on their progress. Um, And if we're ultimately not the fit and it's not a not right now, we will give referrals to therapists or higher level of care or addiction centers or whatever help they may need. Yeah. So that's kind of on the front end. And then while they're here, they're really in concentrated care and under um, extreme expertise, as I would say. Like, I think our team is really top notch from uh, all across the board, from therapists to support staff to physicians and psychiatrists and all of that. What about aftercare? What about setting them up for what is the next level of care or recommendations that you might make? I use um, this metaphor a lot. I studied abroad when I was an undergrad, and one of the biggest things I remember in their prep work for us was culture shock. And mm. they said, when you when you go there, expect that the first week or two, you'll fall into this, and also upon your return home, you'll fall mm. into it as well. And so that that's always stuck with me because it was so true, and I like to use that a lot with the clients when they're getting ready to leave, just as, like, fascinating and odd and helpful and weird and all these beautiful things <laughs> as it was upon entry to us it will be that when you return home because you're mm-hmm. going back to what you came from so being able to make sure that we provide them with as much support as possible is they reacclimate with this discovery of themselves so that can look like therapists that can look like um joining a book club that can look like going to an IOP or PHP programs, which are essentially intensive groups that are offered that can help with mental health, that can help with addiction type work. Mm. Um, So that they really feel the support that they need. And it's not as much of a rough landing upon their return home. Yeah. I really appreciate what Amanda said once again, because it's really important for people to understand that doing a stay in residential trauma, as much as you can get a ton of work done, 
it's never like someone leaves us uh, and doesn't need to continue in their therapy. Yeah. Um, because in some respects, you come to a residential trauma, you're in this sort of encapsulated space to do really deep work. But then some of the progress you've made, some of your mm -hmm. triggers are also going to be on the outside or just some challenges. I mean, when people get stressed out, that's when they're less likely to use new coping strategies and they're more likely to use the old ones. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, continuing care is critical. You know, I like to say that people don't get to a place where they need residential trauma treatment in a, in a month or two. So it's silly to think that a month or two of treatment is going to be enough. Mm. Um, you know, they can certainly maybe re-engage in their life and do something on an outpatient basis. But uh, for some people, it's just the beginning. Yeah. And for some others, maybe it's the middle, but it's never the end. Mm. That's a really good distinction. Because I, what I've heard you say before, Christopher, and in other conversations is that it doesn't always look on the outside to other people that we're in need of residential care. Because some sometimes when one of the effects or behaviors of suffering from unresolved trauma is hypervigilance, mm -hmm. it's overworking, it's doing a lot of things that the world is praising us to do, <laughs> right? So I'd love to hear a little bit, like who is the right person for residential? And maybe someone's listening to this and saying, I don't know, I'm doing really well in all these areas, but this one area of my life is failing. or you know, I just think it's, how do we make that determination? There is a, an important word that I think we can use in this, which is um, unmanageability. Mm, that's good. And unmanageability can show itself in very external ways, like not being able to keep a job, not being able to hold a relationship. Um, simple, other simple ways, like my house is a wreck and my car is destroyed. But there's also this idea of internal unmanageability. Mm -hmm. And so it's to your point, it's all these things that are happening inside of us, all these deep-seated feelings that we are not equipped to deal with. And those are some good signals of, I might need something else to help me. Mm -hmm. The world has a lot of distractions to offer, and sometimes those distractions are big enough that it doesn't even allow us to sit with the unmanageability that's mm -hmm. happening inside of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's really good. Logistically, Shannon, how do people make this work with work and kids and lives? And like, what are some of the situations that you've encountered with people that they've overcome to, to come and to really set aside this long length of time to work on themselves as we've been talking about? Yeah. So we will um, talk about a lot on the front end of how long a stay. It's 30 days. So that's mm -hmm. quite a bit of time to put aside yeah. um, to do that. Um, a lot of times we will help them if they need to get paperwork filled out for work or put in a request of leave or some people use their FMLA just yeah. depending on what that looks like um, and help to do that. We'll talk with family members. We'll go into what the program's about, um, help brainstorm um, child care options, just really whatever help they need in making it happen. We'll talk to anybody, help send letters, anything that we can do on our end to lend a hand to make it manageable for them. So what I'm hearing you say is that you do talk to family members. So if I have, what is the HIPAA compliance around that, <laughs> uh, the confidentiality? Like, can you talk to, if I give you permission, and what kind of family members do you talk to? 
Yeah. And so uh, usually if it is somebody's wife, husband, spouse, significant other that wants information about the program, um, I could share anything pretty much about the program specific, what it looks like, the length of stay, um, the deep seated traumas that they share with me, the secrets. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't share that confidentiality piece there, um, but really explaining why someone would benefit from it. Um, I've talked to grandparents, I've talked to aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. So really anybody. Deep, yeah. you know, close friends that are going to help them. Just anybody that needs questions answered or clarity or wondering, you know, why someone should do it. Definitely explaining that to them and helping them see the benefit of the work. That's good. Um, Amanda, when someone's taking this amount of time to be away from their life, what are some of the things that you see them encounter while they're in the program? Um, whether it's missing family members or feeling the pull or stress of not being somewhere. Or, what does that look like and how do you come alongside clients? Oh man, there's I you know, off the top of my head, I'm just going through this Rolodex <laughs> like a lot of, of like sure. <laughs> uh, that happened and that ha- you know, so there's life happens, right? Yeah. So that can mean hospitalizations and deaths and births and birthdays and little Johnny's music recital mm. and things like that. And it is a very much case by case basis, but I know that there have been instances Um, where we really want to collaborate because, uh, you know, this shows up mostly in parents. Being a parent is a really important job. And a lot of the clients that we work with have a lot of guilt already about how much Mm -hmm. they're able to be present with their kids or where they feel like they're lacking. So being able to say, okay, you know what, we're going to set aside some FaceTime on Friday afternoon and you're going to sit there and FaceTime into your child's music recital. Great, mm-hmm. let's do that. And that's one small way where they can be in treatment but have like a momentary checkout to yeah. really do what feels important as for them for being a parent. And the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, we've treated a lot of people over the years and – when we treat adult clients, it is so rare for us to come in and treat a client and then say, I need help because my parent went away to get treatment. Mm. It's more the case. I need help because my parent never got help. Yep. That's really profound. Yeah. There's just this neat thing that happens too that, you know, people think there's no way that they can take a month off to do this work. Mm-hmm. Yet they, are willing to give it a shot and then um, it works out, right? And even halfway through, they're just like, you know, considering staying longer because it's life-changing work and Mm -hmm. and they need it, they deserve it. I would think a lot of our clients typically don't take care of themselves, so it's very hard to, you know – to make a commitment to work on themselves for a month. They're yeah. very, they're much caretakers, often feeling very codependent with the other people in their lives. And mm. in a lot of ways, just avoiding their pain. They keep busy by avoiding their pain. So they they avoid their pain by keeping busy, should mm. I say. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's neat to watch that transition because they start to realize through the work that they matter. Mm. And cause it's like, if I'm in treatment with the three of you, if I start to think that, you know, you really deserve this, then eventually I'll start to think that I really deserve it. Mm. How often are we willing to give people gifts we don't give ourselves? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. And, and I, coming to the realization, like, if I get healthy, then I have a lot more to offer. 
That's exactly what I was thinking about when you were talking about parents. And I think, what would it look like to give 30 days to be a better parent for the next 30 years? Yep. Um, and to show up, like, maybe you're not showing up how you wanted to, but you're definitely not going to show up how you want to moving forward if you don't do something different. So that's good. And then good encouragement. And I would I would have had a really huge barrier for a lot of people. I can't imagine being away from my daughter for 30 days. Like, that's a lot. It's a whole lot. So, yeah. Well, I am just so grateful for the two of you. Kind of just pulling back the curtain on here. Is there anything else that you would want someone to know who's considering residential treatment? <laughs> Shannon's looking at her notes. Mm-hmm. I would say um, sometimes it feels like the work that's done in residential is work that cannot be done in outpatient. And I I know I kind of said it earlier, but there's truly something magical about taking time out of your busy life and um, giving yourself the time to do the work and the healing. I mean, Sometimes we keep so busy that we don't even have a sense truly of what our issues are. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's struggling with depression or panic or just anxiety, and they that's enough to get them here, the chances are they're going to learn a whole lot more. And uh, it's just a really great experience. For me, half the magic is the break from life to do the work. Mm-hmm. And you can't get that in outpatient. No, there's no other opportunity like that. That's wild. Great. Guess have anything else? And what would you just encourage someone, like who's feeling hesitant or feeling the pull, um, to kind of give him give them that last little push yeah. to make the call or something? Um, just to give themselves grace. Think about, um, you know, what you've been doing, if it's working or not working, and um, the hardest is often that first call is what we always, the hardest thing is to make that first call and then we'll work it out. Logistics will work out from there. Everything will work out from there. Mm, that's good. Thanks, Shan. Mm, you know, mine's just everyone deserves healing. Mm-hmm. At, at the end of the day, bottom line, even with all of our fears that show up, we all deserve healing. Thanks, y'all. This has been really good. Really enlightening. Mm-hmm. Anything else you would add, Christopher? No. No. All right. It feels risky. It feels scary. Residential trauma feels really weighty. So thanks for kind of pulling back the curtain for us and making it feel a little more approachable, for sure. It, it, I agree with that. It is kind of scary. Um, but the, I think the other thing that people need to understand that without the right treatment, yeah. the struggles don't go away. Like time doesn't necessarily always heal. And we often see people that like have trauma as a child and they come here in their 50s and 60s Mm. and the impacts are still very present in their life. And it 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 touches everything. And it's not, you know, something that tends to just go away. Mm. So it's it's a major as, as scary as it is. It's a major investment in your overall health, in your ability to have relationships, um, your physical health. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's a great opportunity to break some generational cycles. Mm-hmm. 
to change the direction that maybe a family is going, that you are going. Yeah. Yeah. I just hear you guys saying, like, nothing's going to change if nothing changes. Typically not. If you or someone you love is struggling with the negative effects of unaddressed trauma, the safety, community, and expert care of the residential experience at Milestones may offer the individualized help and healing you need. Milestones is a -a one-of-a-kind, holistic, and specialized residential trauma treatment experience, serving individuals adversely affected by symptoms of unaddressed trauma, including anxiety, depression, codependency, and PTSD. This innovative and integrative program offers a variable length of stay from 30 to 90 days, specific to individual needs. When life feels like too much, Milestones offers a refuge and a place of healing. Learn more at milestonesatonsite.com. Also, we'd love to help you explore the right option for you. You can connect with our admissions team for a confidential call at 1-800-341-7432 or Email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. You deserve this.